Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Marjorie Smith, a licensed clinical social worker. Marge graduated from Roberts Wesleyan College with a bachelor's degree in organizational management and returned to Roberts to complete her master's of social work. While working in mental health as a therapist, she experienced hospice as a family member when her father died with hospice support. This experience fueled her desire to work with the dying. She transitioned to hospice social work in 2010, where her role concentrated on supporting terminally ill patients as they navigated the last stage of their lives. She was drawn to hospice because of the focus on dignity and comfort of the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. In 2019, she accepted the position of Executive Director at Aurora House Comfort Care Home in Spencerport, New York, a two-bed hospice house. In her spare time, Marge also officiates wedding ceremonies as an ordained minister. Hi, Marge. Thanks so much for joining us today as we chat about hospice and how it might impact the grief journey. Before we dig into the main topic, though, would you please take a moment and share with our listeners how you came to this career field? Certainly, and thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. So I was a mental health therapist for many years, and when my dad reached the age of 95 and was in his last days, uh, he ended up in a hospice unit, a hospital-level unit, because of his severe symptoms. And this was really the first time I had experienced a hospice uh, death. He was there for almost two weeks and I was bowled over by the quality of care and by the way that people cared for him in all aspects, not just the medical. And so after that experience, I decided, you know what, this is what I wanna do. So I did a little bit of research and figured out how to get into the field and ended up with a job as a hospice social worker, which I did for nine years, doing those kinds of things, helping people at the time of death and their families. And then uh, in 2019, I took the position of executive director for a comfort care home, a two-bed comfort care home in Spenceport, New York. Uh, It's called Aurora House, and we take care of people in their last days at the house. Thanks. It's always very interesting to me Um, how people find themselves led to a field. And I know many would feel it's just their calling. It's curious, you know, Stephanie and I both kind of came to this part of our lives advocating for grief and for people that are, that are going through the grief journey. And we were kind of led here too by personal losses and then job situations. And it just happened. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I think everybody finds that interesting. Uh, I think many people have heard the term hospice, but just to make sure we all have a better understanding, could you tell us what it is? We also have some international listeners, and I'm not quite sure if hospice is a protocol or a process or a practice in their countries. So could you elaborate for us? Certainly. I think a little bit of history is a good place to start. The word hospice was coined in the mid-1800s in France. And it 
dealt specifically with assisting people in the dying process. Fast forward to 1967, and Dame Cicely Saunders in England was the one who really is credited with the modern hospice movement, which says people are deserving of dignity and care and comfort when they reach the last days of their lives. And then in the 1970s, some Yale students heard about the dame and asked her to speak. And from that speech at Yale, they really pushed the the movement in the United States, which led Congress to make Medicare a hospice provider in 1986. And as of today, most insurance providers offer this benefit in their repertoire. And that benefit, even though it's insurance-based, is still a holistic and care model for people in the last days of their lives. So the idea is this is a very important time of life. This is a very fragile time of life. And we need to put extra effort into taking care of people as they progress through this. So the Medicare, from the, from the insurance perspective, hospice is care that is offered when someone has a less than six-month prognosis, meaning either they have chosen to not pursue any further treatment for their terminal condition, or any treatment that the doctor could offer is found to be ineffective and just is not going to be able to prolong their life. What some people don't understand is hospice is not a place. There are places that do hospice specifically, but hospice follows people in the United States. That benefit follows people wherever they are. So at home with their loved ones, in a nursing home, in a comfort care home, in a hospital, in a nursing home. Did I miss any? I don't <laughs> um, think so. <laughs> there's, there's many places where people can receive hospice care. And the idea of being holistic means that there are many people involved to make sure that all of those needs are met. So you have home health aides who are there to make sure that personal care is done, chaplains to address any spiritual needs that people may have, social workers to help with all kinds of stuff that might come up, wills and and who's, who's going to take care of what, and just emotional support as well. Uh, nurses to oversee the medical piece, and of course, a person's doctor is the one that is at the at the lead of the plan of care for somebody. So the other thing that again is recognized because it's a holistic approach is that people just need people to interact with at this time. So there are also hospice volunteers who might go and sit with a patient so family can have a break from caregiving. There's pet therapy, there's massage therapy, there's any form of care that can enhance a person's life and also take away some of the hardship that comes with the dying process. One of the huge things with the hospice care in the United States is the oversight of medication. Uh, The body does crazy things when it gets close to dying and it needs medications to offer comfort. I'm always on my soapbox about this, but hospice is not a place or a thing that people do where we just overdose people on meds. It does not happen. Right. Because symptoms get very severe, sometimes the amount of meds that are needed is quite high, but that does not mean that we are just giving meds until somebody dies. 
it's very important that people understand that because I think it scares people away from hospice many times. Well, they're just going to give them morphine until their last breath. Right. It's all about the comfort of the resident. You do not want them to be in any pain. Exactly. Exactly. And as I said, when someone gets near to death, the body does some really amazing things. Yes. And so we need to try and help the body to do those things. Right. And now that we can, I mean, we have these interventions, whereas 200 years ago, we didn't. All we could do was hold someone's hand and and wipe their head. This is a much better approach. I think that was a pretty comprehensive description and probably the best one that I have ever heard. Well, thank you. Truly. Thank you. Truly, because it covered everything. Yep. But when it's near and dear to your heart, it's easy to talk about it. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So I know from personal experience how hospice can impact a family and not just the patient. Uh, I also work at one of the local comfort care homes here, but also with when my grandmother was passing, she had hospice. And it was a nice, I I don't think I had ever heard of it before then, but it was a nice comfort to know then when my mom or I couldn't be there, someone was just sitting there being with her. They were reading or playing music because I know she found comfort in music. So it was just a nice comfort knowing that if I had to run home and shower and take care of the kids or whatever, you know, she wasn't alone. What can a family member expect when their loved one is placed on hospice? So part of what you said is very true, that support, um, that caregiver respite. So you know that your loved one is okay and taken care of and you can step away. And that is hugely important because caregivers burn out very easily, Mm -hmm. especially with this kind of care. And with hospice at home, it is even intensified. So that is a huge piece of the puzzle. But there is many other pieces, including education about what is happening. I have not met a hospice provider who is not an honest person. So Mm -hmm. I usually say to people, if you want to know what's going on, ask the questions because I will tell you. Right. Um, But if you don't want to know, don't ask the question because I'm going to tell you. (laughs) So (laughs) we kind of, in a hospice setting, try to take away that elephant in the room. This is what's going on. And this is what needs to be addressed. And what things do you as a family member want to address? What things do you as a hospice patient want to address with your family members? We try to initiate or at least facilitate those types of conversations. Sometimes it's very difficult to bring those things up unless there is that third person in the room kind of driving the car. And then you can kind of, one person can sit in the front seat and the other person can sit in the back and they don't have to look at each other, but they can talk. (laughs) And it makes it a little easier. Another piece of that is meeting people where they're at. I don't say, you know, your mother is dying and you should ABCD. A person's approach to death is very, very specific to who they are. And so it's important that we find out who they are and meet them where they're at and help them come from the level that they're at with acceptance, with understanding, all those types of things. I like that. To assume that somebody knows something is really bad. So many times I'll say to people, I don't know what you know, so please don't take this as, you know, I think you're stupid, (laughs) but let me start here. And if you know what, tell me, and we'll move on from there. The other thing that is usually taboo until you go through it is the actual dying process. So for people to know what they're going to physically see, 
um, as physical symptoms in their loved one is huge. So if you know it's coming, it's not as much of a surprise and you know it's normal. So it can still be difficult, but at least you understand what's happening. And also just that the family is walking with this person. Yes, the, the patient is the one who is going through the process and is dying, but the family is also very much present and involved in that process. And so trying to balance the needs of both uh, is very important in the process. Thanks. That's, that's so helpful. Uh, I like how the hospice values really involve the family. And I know from my personal experience, after going through it with my mother, uh, who was in a nursing home and on hospice, mm -hmm. they were all very, very good about educating me. And I am just always curious. I always have questions to ask. So they gave me a lot of information such that Years later, when my husband was very ill, terminally ill with a brain tumor, as it got closer to the time of his death, I saw some of these physical symptoms that had been mentioned to me. And I know at one point I even went to the nurse and said, I'm seeing this on his legs. Is, is that modeling? Can you tell me? And they did. So really, at that point, they were still very, very helpful and so supportive to me so respectful of my need for privacy and everything, but I felt better prepared mm -hmm. that second time yeah. because of what I had learned from hospice. So uh, it, I think hospice is incredible. Now, during this period of time and this six months or something, and as we get closer to the time of death, I always wonder, do people have, do people that are dying seem to go through this their own life history and realize that, gosh, there's really, I really love this. This is my passion. I'd love to do this just one more time. That's all I want. Mm -hmm. Do you ever hear that? And is there anything that can be done? Yes. Yes. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is definitely a reflective time. And again, that's part of the goal of the team is to help someone move through those reflections and move through whatever needs to be worked on. There's a lot of interior work that gets done when someone is close to death. Uh, some people are more open to it than others, but we try to facilitate that for them so that they can have what we call a peaceful, good hospice death, having put away all of that emotional stuff and having worked through it. So yes, they do tend to come up with, well, you know, I would love to do this, or I wish I had done that. And just a couple examples of that. Um, I had a patient <laughs> who um, used to take his kids regularly. He was on the younger side, actually. His kids were teens when he died. He used to take his kids to the racetrack and they'd watch the horses and they'd place a little bet and, you know, nothing major, but just it was time to spend together. And he got to the point where he couldn't go. And he was in a wheelchair when he was in the home. So it was really kind of hard for them to even consider going. Not to mention the financial burden of getting him there and where's the money coming from for a few bets. So the hospice team put together a day at the racetrack for he and his family. Oh. Uh, the transportation was set up. We talked to the track and they gave him some vouchers and for food and for bedding and so forth. And they had a really awesome day. And they had that memory of that last time with dad at the racetrack. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was a really cool, a really cool thing. So another example is uh, a dairy farmer who 
spent the last month or so of his life in the hospital due to his symptoms and was missing his cows terribly. He had one particular cow who was his favorite and really was a pet more so than just a member of the herd. So the hospice team put together um, an event for him. They shipped the cow up here uh, by truck Oh from Perry, New York, to Rochester, <laughs> New York, which is probably, for those of you not in Rochester, that's probably like an hour or so away. Yeah, it is. And uh, he was able to get in a wheelchair with assistance, got into the truck with the cow, and was able to spend some time with her. Oh, my gosh. And it just, it made the day for him, and it made the day for the family. Oh, Again, absolutely. it was a huge memory for them that he was able to see her one more time. So, yes, part of the hospice goal is to fulfill people's wishes, to help them make those memories with their family before um, before they die. I'm sure it also made the day for the staff because I know yes. how devoted and how caring and compassionate hospice staff are. Yes, it, it does make a difference when you see something like that happening. It gets Absolutely. In, your, in your heart and it, it stays I, I there. I have tears in my eyes. You can't see them, but they're there. But they're there. Um, I, I, you know, I worked briefly um, at the comfort care home where Stephanie now is. And I remember a resident we had there. Uh, you will love it because she was Irish. Her love was sailing. Mm. And they, one of the volunteers had a sailboat. They coordinated with the medical team. They took this woman and they, she went sailing one more time. And the photos that they took, her face was absolutely beaming. She was so, so happy. Um, but those, those events are absolutely incredible. Yes. And they just mean the world, especially to the family. It creates such wonderful memories and I think truly helps them with their grief because when death is normally considered such a somber, sad, sorrowful thing, when you see someone who's on that last journey smiling ear to ear, it's just an incredible, incredible feeling. There is actually, there's one more story if we have time. We um, do. This is a little different. Uh, this gentleman did not want any sort of services after he died. He didn't want his family to do anything because he wasn't going to be there. So why bother? Right. So the hospice team suggested a live wake hmm. or a living wake. So he held on to that idea and put together a party oh my. and he was present for his wake and oh. people got up and spoke about how he had influenced their lives. And some came just to him personally, but it was a chance for him to hear and for them to express to him all of the good he had done with his life. And so mm. not only was it good for him, but in the grieving process, it helped his family and his friends to know that they actually did have that chance. To say what they needed to say. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> I just, from my own experience working in hospice, I love the fact that the the residents are sharing because you know they see new faces with the volunteers coming in um, every day, and they get to share about their life. Um, and it's so nice to find out what they've done in their past, and they just enjoy talking about it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot. And then again, the family members get to kind of share in those memories and talk about the good times and maybe laugh a little bit and not, not always be so somber. So they get a little weight gets lifted, mm -hmm. their family yeah. member being in hospice. Very true. 
Marge, how does hospice prepare support the family as the time grows closer to the end of the patient's life? What can a family member expect? So as I mentioned, um, everything is rooted in honesty. So we're going to start there. We're going to answer questions as they come. And some of those answers are not easy to hear. And so maybe that support is a hug. Well, not today in COVID, COVID times, <laughs> but usually <laughs> the support is a hug. The support that people report to us time and time again is, thank God somebody understands. Right. Um, you know where I'm coming from. You get it. You're not afraid to talk about it like many people are. So they can know that we are there. That's, and that's, that's part of the reason it's so important to come on to hospice earlier than later because it gives us time as hospice workers to build that relationship right. so that when we do get close to those really, really, really hard days, they know they can trust us mm -hmm. and they know that what we're telling them is truthful and is the best for the, the patient, their loved one. So setting up that, that relationship and setting up the idea that you're going to go through this, no one gets out of here alive. So you're going to go through this, you're going to have the grief to, to work through and that is just reality. But we're here to help you with that reality as much as we can and as much as you will let us to do so. Thanks. And once the death has occurred, again, speaking from personal experience, it seems like as soon as that happens, everything is just kind of fast forward all of a sudden. There's so many things to think about, so many things to do. But as it relates to hospice, wherever the family member was, the death has occurred. Do they just pack up personal belongings and, and leave? What happens after the death? Is there anything that hospice will do for the family? Yes, definitely. Um, again, a holistic approach means that just because something has happened doesn't mean it's over, um, especially when you're speaking about death. For those of us who are left here, there is a whole bunch of stuff to work through. There is a whole bunch of emotional stuff, legal stuff, all of those things that can really pile on. And so the hospice benefit, again, in the States through Medicare and Medicaid offers bereavement services. So that will look different depending on what hospice you're working with. But the basic is that there are support groups available. So you can talk with other people who have lost their loved ones and, hey, I'm going through that too. And oh my God, I'm not alone. That's the beauty of the of the support groups. And there's also one-on-one -on -one support if you need to speak with a bereavement counselor. And that service is provided through Medicare's requirements up to a year, but it doesn't end at a year. If you still need it, it's still there. So again, it's it's based on a comfort and caring and love of people, really, and, and making sure that they're doing okay with what they're going through. I just wanted to mention as well, the comfort care home that I work at, once the resident has passed and the funeral date is planned, we put it out to our volunteers when the funeral is, because a lot of the volunteers who cared for the resident and then us staff, we like to go to the funeral because we need that closure too. You know, we mm -hmm. got close to that person, sometimes in a quick, quick way, but, um, you know, we need that closure as well. And it's just another support for the family when they see you there, give them a big hug. And we can't now with COVID or be at funerals, but <laughs> which all hospice workers right now during COVID are like killing for a hug. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Give hugs. Definitely. Yes. And that, 
It's very true. Um, hospice workers, the, the, again, the, the insurance based medical team, although they're not all medical, quite often does the same thing. Yeah. They will go to funerals. They will go to calling right. hours. It helps to close that piece of the journey yeah. and open the next part. Yeah. Right. Sometimes hospice, not just the bereavement people, but the hospice social worker or the nurse will stay in touch with a family yeah. or a particular family member for several months. Or I actually am still meeting for lunch with a lady whose husband died five years ago. Aww. So, you know, I see her probably two or three, maybe four times a year and we just catch up. It's a, it's, it's whatever that person needs. Right. Hospice attempts to do that for them. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, in your opinion, Marge, and in your experience as well, how do you see hospice care impact the grief journey? Does it make it easier, quicker, less intense? Um, yes, 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 and no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think okay. it, it depends on the person. Just like exactly. each person grieves differently. Each person we've seen, each person handles death very differently. Right. <laughs> so I think the huge thing, I was thinking about this last night, actually, as I was looking over, um, getting ready for today. Um, the huge thing that hospice does is help people deal with anticipatory grief. So all of that stuff that starts coming up before the death even happens, right. as soon as somebody comes on to hospice or as soon as somebody gets that, hey, you're probably not going to be here in four months. Everything starts. And so to say, OK, we're not going to grieve until the person dies is just not realistic. So again, the fact that hospice comes in and says, this is what's really going on. This is what really needs to happen. This is what really you need to address if you want to. We're here to help you do that. That really does make a difference in a positive way. Again, if people are open to it, many times they're not. Right. No, they're not dying. They're going to be fine. Right. Like, okay, that's fine. You, you just keep, you keep thinking you're on that cloud. That's good. And when you're ready, we're here to help you. Right. Um, but yes, hospice, because of the education, because of the support, because of the truly person-centered approach that hospice has, it does make things easier as much as they are able to be easier. It makes the best out of a very hard situation that everyone has to go through at some point. Mm -hmm. um, still going to feel that the person's death sucks. Right. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's true. what it comes down to. It does. But if if hospice is done well and done correctly, a person can have what we call a good hospice death. Mm -hmm. And so the best of a bad situation can be made of it. And hopefully family sees it the same way, that it's been a good experience given what they were going through. Right. If someone listening has a loved one who has received a terminal diagnosis, what would you tell them to do to get hospice involved? Where would they start or who would start the process? There's a couple different answers for this. Doctor is the first person to talk to about hospice. Hopefully they have worked with the person and they know the person and they have had these conversations back and forth. A doctor is the one who has to make the referral to a hospice agency. So if you or I had a loved one who we thought needed hospice, we couldn't just call up and say, hey, come and take care of us. Um, it would have to go through their doctor. So having said that, hospice agencies are very, very much willing to just speak to somebody and explain hospice. They don't have to go through their doctor to get the information. But to actually start services, the doctor has to do the referral. 
I would say if you have hospice facilities in your area, call them for information as well. For instance, I get several calls at Aurora House, the comfort care home, just asking about hospice in general and asking for guidance and asking for how do we do this kind of thing. I think it's also very important to speak with your family. If you are the person who has received this terminal diagnosis and your doctor is saying, yeah, you have probably less than six months, you should consider hospice. Family needs to be involved. You can't do this alone. Uh, And hopefully along that walk, before you get to that terminal point, that six-month point, um, your family has already been involved. But if not, this is a really important time to call them and say we need to have a, a talk. Okay, well, thanks so much, Marge. Um, I think today's conversation has been incredible. And I almost I almost want to just put it out there for every nurse and everything to say, here, this will explain to your patients what they can expect from hospice. But I think our time is about up. We so appreciate you taking the time. And we also want to say that we appreciate your personal dedication to patients, families, and the entire concept and practice of hospice and palliative care. Again, from my personal experience, it was so comforting to have someone that I could ask literally any question. Mm -hmm. And Marge, you and I know each other, so you can imagine some of the questions I may have asked (laughs) here or there. But then have somebody also quietly sit with you in the room and very discreetly hand you that tissue because you don't want to reach for it and have others see that you needed it. Hospice is great at doing that as well. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, I know you've heard the term comfort care home in here. That is something that's kind of unique to our area. There are others scattered around the country of the United States. But if you have any questions about comfort care homes, feel free to send us an email and we can get you some more information about what they are. It's truly a magical magical piece of healthcare, I think, for our area and an incredible gift to the community. Just sponsored by a lot of companies, a lot of people, and operated by a ton of volunteers. Absolutely, again, incredible. All the volunteers in hospice have such special hearts because they they're do. doing this in their with their own time. And they they love it. It's their passion. And so they're all amazing. Thanks, Steph. And that, that, that is one thing, actually, just one last comment. Um, hospice, many people, when I tell them what I do, they're like, oh, you work with dead people? I said, no, I work with dying people. <laughs> but it's, it's a very specific person who can do this and who gets fulfillment yes. out of it. So it's a very niche area, and it's very, very, very important. So if you have any inclination of thinking you might want to do this at work, please reach out. And I would be happy to talk to anybody who wants to be involved. Absolutely. As with Stephanie and I, thanks for those additional comments. So one more comment before we wrap things up completely. To all the volunteers out there, you have our our deepest, deepest love. Prayers always, and just a special, special thank you for all the work you volunteers do. So I guess that's about it. Did we miss anything, Marge? I don't think so. I think we did pretty darn Okay. Well, we'll see what questions come from this, and we may have you back for another session on hospice. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and say 
Farewell for today, and we hope you join us next week. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.